Thank you so much, Brianna, for coming on the podcast. I am honestly, I when you said you you agreed to this, I was so excited because I just think this is a huge realm that I haven't even gone down yet. And so many people can benefit from you and everything that you stand for. First, can you kind of introduce yourself to everybody that doesn't know you, where we can find you? Sure. Well, I'm Brianna Capodagonal, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. And I'm a perinatal mental health specialist, as well as an infant family and early childhood mental health specialist. So for the last decade, I worked exclusively with families, um, new moms and families with um, children under the age of five. I'm also a mom to two wonderful little boys, two toddlers, one who is 13 months today, actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah, little Giovanni, he's 13 months today. And then my other child is three and a half. He'll be four in April. What's his name? Mateo. Mateo, so cute. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm watching Jane the Virgin right now, and little, like, that's the first time I heard the name. That is the cutest name. I know I had that name picked out before Jane the Virgin, but, like, I literally love every single episode of Jane the Virgin. I so just good. started watching it, and I'm absolutely obsessed. So cute. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so I am the owner and um, operator of Conscious Mommy. I have an Instagram page, but that's mainly my online forum for moms and families, really, who are invested in conscious parenting. And so how I like to define conscious parenting is the willingness to take a deep dive into ourselves, understanding our pasts and how we were raised and how the experiences of our own childhood influence how we show up in relationship with our children. So um, it's a bit more than just a gentle approach. It's a bit more than just, you know, scripts and hacks and things like that. It's really about the um, our, our attitudes, how we talk to ourselves, how we think about ourselves, how we understand ourselves. It's also about what we prioritize with our children. Are we prioritizing connecting? With the children? Are we prioritizing trust with the children, collaboration with the kids, or are we prioritizing all the old patterns and old beliefs that we were raised with? You know, um, for example, like um, controlling the child or, um, you know, harming the child, emotional abuse, physical abuse. What is it that we are prioritizing with these children? So, that's, I think, a main um, main idea of conscious parenting that I'm trying to promote and support families in learning. I think conscious parenting in general is, would you say it's more of a newer development or is that not really true? Well, um, a lot of, so, so what is most common in parenting is behaviorism. So consequences and rewards yeah. and punishments. That's what's far more common um, because it is something that has been, you know, taught for 50, 60, 70 years, if not more. But the field of neuroscience, which um, is where conscious parenting um, is birthed from, I mean, it's evolved a bit beyond even neuroscience, but neuroscience is hard science um, that you know, this is not, it's not a new field of science. It's been, they've been talking about it for 
also 50, 60 years. I just think people are finally catching on. I just kind of wonder like where that started. I would say it's becoming a bit more mainstream just with social media and people being willing to talk about how they are parenting, um, people being a bit more honest about mental health and the things that like our parents um, would have hidden. Um, and, and also I think having less shame around talking about the hardships that we face as parents. Whereas that would have been an incredibly shameful thing for parents raising children in the 70s and 80s and even like the early 90s admitting to how difficult it was, was in, would have been incredibly sh shameful. And I think there has been a little bit of a generational shift to, we actually have to talk about these things if we don't want to continue to repeat the cycle. If we actually want to break these cycles of trauma and pain and shame and harming each other and disconnecting from each other, if we want to actually break these cycles, it starts now. It starts when you're parenting a 17-month-old. Yeah. It starts when you're parenting the baby. It, 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 it is immediately, you know, part of the process that we're all trying to work through. Are there times where you're working with somebody and, or, you know, I just feel like there are so many people that are saying, that could say, well, that's not a trauma of mine. It's just my kids being bad or my kid is this or, you know, how, how can I or someone listening reflect, self-reflect and, and maybe become aware of themselves? That is a brilliant question. And the, the reflection and the awareness is in no, knowing child development and knowing that when we say it isn't about me, it's because my child's being bad. It's actually about us. It, it is because the child doesn't be bad. Children aren't bad. Children don't know. They don't, they don't have skills. They don't have social skills. They don't have emotional skills. They don't have emotional regulation skills. They don't even know how to contain their own impulses. They don't know how to control their own bodies. Literally, literally babies don't even know how to lift their arms above their own heads when they are born. Everything is learned through a series of interactions and a series of development day after day, year after year. And, and when we assume that a child is being bad, it is probably because we were told that we were bad for the things that we didn't have skills for. Yeah. And we didn't know how to deal with this feeling of being bad and being bad is one of the most important fears to deconstruct because I have so many adults in my practice who go into parenting totally afraid that they are bad parents, afraid that every action they take is going to mess this child up. And that the fear is the operative word here. When we are told over and over and over again that we are bad, because we don't know what it is that we're doing and we're not given skills to work through things. We grow up to be adults who fear everything that is around us. When you're growing up with that fear, because I, I saw one of your reels, I think it was on Instagram, and I love them. So anybody listening out there, you need to go follow at Conscious Mommy on Instagram because I mean, there's just so much there. 
um, for every new mom, mom of any type of aged child, I feel like it's just amazing. But one of them, you did talk about fear and that exactly what you were just saying that really hit home to me because there is this fear. So yeah, like we were talking about, my daughter's only 16 months old and there is this fear like every time, just for instance, I have this weird thing about not telling her that she's fine. Like if she falls or like gets hurt or cries or something, I just have this thing of like, I don't ever want to tell her she's fine. Like I, I, I just feel like I hear it all the time from people around me. It's like, oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. But it's like, how do I actually know that she's fine? You know? And I don't know why that stuck out to me. And when I first had her, I was like, I'm never going to tell her that she's fine. She's like, I will ask her, are you okay? All the time. And people are just nervous because they don't want to mess their kid up or traumatize them or have, you know, it's just a hard, hard thing. I think it's a blessing and a curse of parenting in this social media age, because a lot of this information comes across with this facade that if you do all these things, then you won't mess up your kid. Yeah. And, and I think we really need to just kind of let go of this idea that, that there is a perfect way to parent and that we'll create these, you know, perfect human beings who have no problems. They're going to have problems. And that's a good thing because parenting is meant to get us to understand ourselves better. That's why we parent. So when we feel the need to tell a child who's crying and who has a skin knee that they're fine, it's because we have learned to reject our own pain. So now I need to sit with the experience of my own pain. How can I be okay with being in pain? So I can be okay with this little child here in front of me who is in pain and not be afraid of it and see it as how this is how we connect. This is how this child feels heard with me. This is how this child feels safe with me. This is how this child feels soothed and understood by me because I'm not afraid of my own pain. Yeah. So that's really the message. Parents, we can't be afraid of our own pain. We are so afraid of ourselves and it's, of course, because I'm so afraid of myself, I'm going to be afraid of this child here in front of me. And I always tell parents, do not conscious parent for your child. Yeah. Don't do it because you think it's for their benefit. Do it for yourself. Do it because you want to understand yourself better. Because when you understand yourself better, you are going to much more easily understand who this child is in front of you. You won't feel the need to make them into something you won't feel the need to raise them to be a little mini you or a reflection of you, but you can really fully come to a state of acceptance of who it is they are because only, and only because you have figured out who it is that you are. Blown away. That is, those words really resonate and I feel like will with so many people. Yeah, the most important thing is um, self-reflection. I cannot stress it enough until the day I die, I'm gonna be telling people to get to know yourself. The more you self-reflect, the easier it is for you to connect. So we have to do the self-reflection work. That could come in the form of writing, in journaling, in therapy. It's really just understanding why is it so triggering for me that my kid keeps getting up in the middle of the night? Yes, I'm sleep deprived, right? Of course, I'm human, I'm sleep deprived. But why does it feel like such a burden for me that my child needs me in the middle of the night? It isn't just that they're waking you up. 
it's really something deep underneath it of feeling needed and then you having to make yourself available for this child who needs you. Where did you have to make yourself available for other people in your life where it felt overwhelming? It felt like a burden. Were you told that you can't be a burden and you couldn't lean on others and now you feel resentful to this little baby here in front of you who needs you because you don't feel like you have had people. You don't feel like you've had that experience. So it is deeper. I always invite parents to go deeper. Now, when we open up this portal, this self-aware portal, it changes how we are in the moment with the child. It's probably the most impractical, but practical tool that every parent doesn't know that they need. And I talk about it so much because I can't sell it, right? I can't sell your self-reflection. I don't make any money off of you learning the art of self-reflection. I make money if I tell you, you need to do X, Y, and Z, these secrets that I have for you, and then you do them and then keep coming to me for more secrets. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in parents building real, real changing transformative skills. And what that means is we have to be willing to do the work. And the work starts with self-reflection and self-awareness. From that comes us taking pauses before we react to the child. From that comes us going beneath the surface. So instead of seeing a child screaming no at me, and then I assume, oh my gosh, look at this defiant little brat, right? That's me reacting to the behavior. I go underneath the surface and I see, oh, this child is really setting a boundary with me. They're telling me no, something doesn't seem right for this child. I wonder what's going on for this child here. I wonder what it is they're trying to tell me that they need. Now I'm taking a, a much more curious approach to trying to understand the kid in front of me instead of you aren't allowed to tell me no because I'm your parent. Yes. I loved how you said that parenting is for you, is, is for you, is for the parent because how you just said it, it's really taking the pauses, it's really calming down almost and having to slow down and teach yourself to be able to teach, essentially. 100%. This is, this is, this is actually the field of neuroscience. A dysregulated parent will never be able to regulate a dysregulated child. Only a regulated parent can regulate a dysregulated child. If we want these children to understand the art of self-control, and yet we aren't willing to invest in our own self-control, we're just gonna repeat cycles. How, how would you say someone would deal with the situation of, say, I wanna self-reflect, but my partner doesn't, or my partner wants to gentle parent, but I don't. Like, how would you, how would you give advice in that situation? Well, parenting is a relationship that happens between the child and the parent. Okay. And so many parents believe they need to be on the same page in order to parent effectively. My preference is you're working from the same book, but even if we're not working from the same book, we're working from two different books. 
then we're going to have to find out what our non-negotiables are, discuss those non-negotiables, and continue to take a values-oriented approach. For example, if a parent continues to insist, I want to take the punishment, harsh discipline, spanking route, and another parent is like, that is absolutely not, that is a non-negotiable. I see that as, a, as an issue for therapy. Okay. I see that as a communication problem between these two parents that needs some support. Um, so I would encourage those types of parents to get into to counseling. But if someone, if another parent is like, I think rewards work, I want to give my kids some rewards. And another parent is like, I don't think rewards work. I don't want to give my kids rewards. I say, have at it, but just know that that it is going to shift your relationship with your child and you're going to have to be okay with those relational shifts. Yeah, that's so true. And I think as the child gets older, they're going to have their own thoughts and processes on how each parent is. I mean, I, I know that's for me. I see how differently my parents chose to parent the four of us children. And it was like night and day. And now I can kind of appreciate and see, you know, kind of what went on, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point because it's it's actually quite healthy to have two parents parent differently, right? Okay. To be perfectly aligned makes no sense. It doesn't give the children enough opportunity to kind of work with variety. So, so it's not a bad thing to parent differently. It's when our values are so incredibly different that it could impose harm for the children that we wanna get some support. But ha like I had said in the example of rewards or no rewards, right? Those are two really fundamentally different ways of parenting. And yet, if that's our belief, that could be really helpful for children to be able to have experience with different kinds of parents and different ways of being parented. The research really supports that, actually, supports differences. The rewards topic, I know you had some information on, on your Instagram about that as well. Um, the sticker charts and the, the whole that whole idea. Um, that really was so interesting to me that you're, you're not the biggest supporter of re rewards charts. And I understand it, but can you give us a little background on why? Yeah. So um, sticker charts and rewards point a child outside of themselves um, to gain motivation and really to please the whoever it is, is holding and dangling this, this carrot. And the reason why I don't like the idea of making a child look outside of themselves is it forces a child to not trust themselves. It forces a child to ignore any kind of intrinsic motivation, internal motivation, and make it all about what am I gonna get for doing this? I also find it to be fundamentally quite controlling um, because we often use it as a way to shape and control and manipulate a child's behaviors to get them to please us and to serve us and to be what it is that we are asking them to be. And fundamentally, what I believe is that these types of patterns repeated over time, year after year, is going to encourage children to really resist 
the parents' effort to control them, rebel strongly, and, you know, really cause some damage, I will say repairable. It's not it's not irreparable, but but repairable damage in the child parent relationship because we are we are prioritizing the parents' need for comfort and control instead of working with the child, helping them learn the skills that they need to learn and and really prioritizing connecting with the child. So that's my whole theory and belief system why sticker charts are just pretty much useless and not supportive for the child's development. See, I think this was this is so important for people to hear because I just think anybody that's a parent or, you know, they kind of just hear like, oh, we're doing a sticker chart. It's a good thing. There's just this whole stigma behind like sticker charts and reward charts and and chore charts and all those things. Um, but when you really sit down, because I would have never thought of it in that light unless I heard what you had to say about it. And to me, it makes way more sense than the damn sticker chart does, you know? Um, the sticker charts are a huge improvement from what parents in the 80s were doing. Yes. Well, parents in the 80s were primarily punishments. So kids were getting hit and spanked and humiliated, like, like public humiliation was typical for schools. Um, you know, that was all normal and typical in the in the 80s and honestly, even the early 90s having lived through it. So um, it is it is a step better. So I, I don't want to I don't want parents to feel like ashamed, like, oh, my God, I'm doing something so wrong. It's not that like you're doing something so wrong. It's that it's outdated old science that was primarily studied on animals you know, and, and your child's not an animal, your child is a human being. And neuroscience is is actual science on human beings and human relationships, and how our neurophysiology connects and relates to each other. It involves really complex and important attachment science. And when we really look at these fields, sticker charts make no sense because it is not about the co-regulatory process. It is not about teaching children the skills that they don't have. It's really our job as parents to teach the children the skills that are missing. So what I find is parents who tend to rely on sticker charts and reward systems are oftentimes parents who really struggle with basic problem solving. They don't know how to solve problems. And so this feels like a reasonable way to solve a problem, but it's really because they lack basic problem solving skills. And how could somebody in that situation, like how do you develop problem solving skills? Like what does that even look like? Well, um, learning how to um, solve problems is start, starts with our ability to be curious and to observe, right? So any great scientist, they don't go in and, and you know fix the problem. They first observe and notice what is the problem and they make their hypotheses. And then you're willing to fail. You're willing to make mistakes. You're willing to keep trying until you feel satisfied with the end result. That's the basic, you know, underlying yeah. of problem solving. Children are excellent scientists, which means children, you know, especially as they get a bit older, you know, three, four, five, become really invested in the problem solving process. How do we interfere with that? 
Well, we use sticker charts to solve the problems. How else do we interfere with that? Well, we use consequences. Instead of telling, teaching the child how to play appropriately with the toy, we tell them, you threw the toy, that's wrong, I'm putting the toy up high now. So now I, instead of teaching my child how to solve the problem, I have essentially solved it for them by removing. It is not actually solving the problem, it's just imposing some kind of Band-Aid on a broken leg. I'd rather heal the leg, which is problem, help the child learn to problem solve. And as parents, it's really our willingness to be curious and observe and make sense and then move forward from there. And what happens in a situation where you are going to decide to gentle parent or conscious parent and you, the child throws the toy, you explain and you, you do the whole thing and then they continuously do it. Do you then take the toy away? Like what would be your advice in that situation? But always hold the boundaries. You know, I can't let you keep throwing this toy, hon. It's really unsafe for your body. It's unsafe for mine too. So um, I'm going to hold on to it. And when you feel like your body is ready, you feel like your body is feeling calm inside. We can try again. Okay. And then I'm willing to keep working on it, right? It's not to say that then you impose the consequence when the child says, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then they take it and they throw it. It actually means that they don't know that they're not ready. So now my new job, my new problem to help my child solve is, let's figure out what it feels like in our bodies to know that we're ready. You said that you were ready, but then you threw the toy again. I'm gonna hold the toy and let's see what it feels like in our bodies to be ready. Let's feel our hearts. Ooh, your heart's feeling really fast. Okay, let's take deep flower breaths to feel our heart get really slow. Let's go outside and blow some bubbles. That's gonna help our body feel slow. And then we can try again. So now I'm actually teaching my child the skill that they clearly do not have, which is self-regulation. And I'm modeling it and I'm using my own regulation to co-regulate with the child. Wow, I love that. I feel like it's it's almost like meditation in a yeah. sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that makes sense. In so you have this um, parenting workshop that you offer. In your parenting workshop, are these things that you're teaching parents or do you want to talk a little bit about your workshop? Sure. So um, my first workshop that's coming out is let go of your inner control freak. And so what I'm teaching parents in this workshop, it's a live workshop, um, but it's going to be recorded. So family families will still be able to access it afterward. But what I'm going to be teaching parents is how to deconstruct exactly why it is that they are controlling. So that self-reflective work. And then I'm going to be teaching parents um, exactly what it means to be a take charge parent and um, learning a three-step process on how to um, you know, take charge of difficult moments with our children and how to support them um, in this more collaborative and connected way. So my goal with a workshop is to help families um, end the power struggles, um, end the, the cycle of threatening and, you know, trying to control children with punishments and all the ways that we just tell children constantly that we don't trust them and we don't trust ourselves in this process, really ending those cycles and making way for a completely new way 
to be in relationship with the children. So this is the first one. And then throughout the year, I have three other workshops that I'll be offering. I have let go of your triggers, let go of your inner people pleaser, and let go of your past hurts. So all four of these together will create a foundation for families who are really um, invested in moving forward in their conscious parenting journey. Would you would you actually um, say that that's good for parents that are like me? Like have I, I really haven't gotten into much of like the parenting thing yet. My daughter's still a tiny little baby at this point. Um, do you think that's good for someone like me or is that more for somebody that's in the toddler phase and they're really going through it? Um, I think it's going to be immediately applicable to people who um, resonate with feeling like they are a bit controlling or grew up in experiences where they felt controlled um, or have children where, you know, those types of situations that I was describing earlier um, keep coming up for them. Um, I think it would have immediate application for those folks. Um, for people who have younger kids um, who really, you know, aren't quite in this stage yet, it will be excellent preparation. Okay. And so, um, I'm, I mean, I've been working on my mothering for 18 years, uh, even though I've only been a mother for three and a half years. Um, and that's really because the self-reflection process, it just, it takes time and it, it takes a bit of an effort. And I, I got into it much earlier than most people um, just because my you know history was a bit more traumatic than a lot of people. And I knew I had a lot to work through before I came into motherhood myself. So I would encourage, you know, it, it is a workshop that all parents need, period. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, because I'm selling it. I want parents to have this information no matter where they get it. They get it from me, great. They go read a book, fantastic. They hear a sermon that, that speaks to them, great. Get it from the sermon, get it from the homily. I don't care where they get the information from. It's that they get this information that is really transformative because we're breaking down old conditioned ways of thinking and believing. And we're really shifting the paradigm of parenting from a place of you need to control your kids to you need to be in connection with these children. If we want to have children who grow up to be resilient and empathetic and compassionate and joyful and happy. We want happy kids. I don't care about successful kids. I do not care if they are successful in the eyes of the, the world. I want my children to be able to rest easy in their hearts and in their souls. And that really it starts with us and how we, how we prioritize connection with them. What got you into this field? I mean, and then I also, I guess this is a loaded question, but how was that transition to motherhood? So um, what really sent me into this field was the realization that I um, experienced a childhood trauma and emotional abuse, physical abuse, neglect, um, and I hadn't known it. Uh, because I, you know, was raised in such an environment where if you, if you questioned it, um, you were really punished seriously. And so 
when I went to college and I started, you know, just ta talking very kind of normally about my life and the things I had experienced and people looked at me like I was just like I had two heads. I thought, what's up? What, is there something wrong here? Like, has everybody not experienced this? And then I started going to therapy and in therapy, it took me actually five years, actually five years of weekly therapy for me to even ad admit that I was physically abused um, for 12 years in my youth and, and that the experiences that I had were completely dysfunctional and totally toxic and there were no boundaries and my need to leave where I'm from, I'm from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my, my need to escape was really my way of protecting myself from continuing to be involved with people who were really hurtful. And so um, I actually never thought I would become a mother uh, because I was so afraid that I would be a violent, aggressive mother who um, harmed my children. And um, then when I found myself really just loving healing work and getting into um, therapy, I found myself working in a therapeutic preschool with children three, four, and five who, have, who, have ex who were in foster care, most of them, who had experienced very severe trauma, even more serious and severe than mine. I had never, we were never detained. I, I was never put in foster care. It was the 80s and, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't even believe me when I told the police what I had experienced. Um, and so, so, so these children were going through such serious um, problems and I just found myself really connected to them in a lot of ways. And I thought, I wanna do this work forever. I wanna work with children who have been harmed, which then led me into seeing that it's not that these children are harmed, it's that these parents are harmed. Whoa, it is parents who are hurting and the children are just a reflection of the parents hurting. Wow, this is a real cycle. This is a real process. And it, it you know, of course, while I'm experiencing with my clients, I was also working through my own issues. And then fast forward to um, several years later, I find out that um, I am now having a baby. And I thought, well, this is the time. Now's the time to really put on um, the last, at that point, I think it was like 16 years maybe 15 years of therapy into practice and really see what is it like. And I can tell you that even though I unearthed and healed and worked through quite a bit in that time, nothing prepared me for being so incredibly triggered by my new baby's crying and finding his crying absolutely grotesque and feeling like who is this child who is asking so much of me? Why does he think I'm not giving him everything? I'm giving him everything. I'm giving him so much more than I got. So now all of my triggers are just completely flooded and overwhelming me. So thank God I continue to be in therapy and I love therapy and I will always encourage people to be in therapy. And I was able to process in real time and get the real support that I needed to be able to recognize that this child is just doing what he's doing. And I am reacting to all the ways that I was rejected 
in all the ways that I was neglected and all the ways that I didn't get my needs met. And I can use this process to heal by prioritizing me and getting what I need met, which allows me to be available and to meet this child. All of that brought me into conscious parenting. At that point, I didn't know of conscious parenting. Wow. I am, first of all, so sorry for everything that you've been through. But I mean, hearing how you've triumphed through all of this and just what an amazing, extraordinary mother you are to your boys, but not only to them, but helping all the parents all over the place just become better parents themselves and find their inner peace and and find their inner selves is so, so important and so helpful. That is just amazing what you're doing. And I'm so here for it. I love it. Absolutely. I I share my story not for sympathy because I believe that it inspires others to really look in their lives. You know, my story is not fully relatable to most people who I speak to because most people haven't experienced like the serious types of abuse and neglect. But we can look at the micro abuses and the micro ways that we were emotionally harmed, the ways that we were the ways that we were taught to deny ourselves over and over and over and over again in service or in pleasure of an adult, the ways we were told to, you know, be quiet. We don't want to hear your voice. You know, kids are to be seen and not heard. And hearing these messages over and over and over again, it's not traumatic in the way that we would define it clinically, but it is an oppressive, it's, it's a way to oppress um, children. And then we grow up with these feelings of disenfranchisement. Then um, it's something that we have to deconstruct and work through if we don't want to pass it on to the kids. Absolutely. We're all trying to raise happy kids like you were saying. And then, you know, we all want to deal with negative behavior or, you know, whether that's from your child, however you want to interpret it, but we want to deal with that in a positive way and turn it into a positive. Is that a good way of saying it, would you think? Yeah, it's. I think it's even like letting go of the idea that there is negative behavior. Okay, that's true, okay, yeah. Go of that and actually seeing the behavior as communication, as communication about what's going on for me. My child's behavior as communication, it's the tip of the iceberg, if you will. But we know underneath the tip, there is a vast, huge thing happening beneath the surface that requires much more focus and attention than that little tip. I'm really inspired by you. And I feel like after this call, I need to just go and self-reflect and write. I have like so many things that I want to, because it's so true. Becoming a better mother and parent is really starts with, bettering yourself and I think that's a huge takeaway that our listeners can take away from this conversation with you and another thing I wanted to ask you because I specifically know there are a lot of new moms that listen to this podcast and if you have just a couple advice in any way for a new mom starting this journey what would your advice be number one give yourself grace and compassion always first and foremost You must speak kindly and lovingly to yourself. You must think kindly and lovingly to yourself. The shame game, the blame game, the guilt game, 
these are these are these are ways that we harm ourselves keep ourselves in this place of inadequacy and does not allow us to show up for these children in the ways that i know moms deeply desire to the next thing stop it with the perfection everything you see on instagram is a facade it is not real and stop if you please take my own take my words i have to do this too stop trying to be perfect at not being perfect the whole thing around perfection is draining us of our joy we have to look at parenting with humility this experience is meant to bring us to our knees we are supposed to not know it's okay to not know not everything is going to have an answer you know this is something i do find to be true with some of my younger audience younger i would say you know moms in your age mid 20s um so a little bit of a different generation from mine who feel deeply that they need to have an answer to move forward. We don't need to have an answer to move forward. We can just keep moving forward and we can be in the unknown and not know and it's still okay. And I really want my especially my younger millennial Gen Z mommies to just know this and to to value this and to appreciate it. I don't have to have all the answers and I'm still a good mom. I don't have to be perfect at this and I'm still a good mom. If I give myself grace and compassion and love, I am going to have so much more to give to my family, to give to my child, and I'll still be able to give to myself. All of these things are true. So it's a mindset shift from the whole comparison thing that we're kind of prone to doing. A mindset shift. That's perfect. And I loved when you said trying to be perfect at not being perfect because that is huge. Everybody's trying trying to overcompensate for not being perfect. It, it's just, it's, it's a trippy thing to think about. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I and I, I don't, I don't blame anybody for it. It's no. the world we live in. It's how we're all conditioned to feel. You know, you had asked, how do we get okay with, with problem solving? How do we learn to solve problems? Well, we have to be okay with making mistakes. If we want to learn how to solve a problem, we have to be okay with making mistakes. But because we live in this information age where we can Google everything, everything seemingly has an answer, we believe and apply that idea to parenting and it's just not applicable. Really, the answers are within us. And if we can get good at reflecting on ourselves, you'll find the answer. You'll know what feels right. If you can understand why it felt so hard for you to hear somebody tell you how fine you were when you weren't fine. And you can sit with that and you can make sense of that. And you can, you know, kind of have compassion for the people who told you that you were fine when you weren't and have compassion for that little person within you who needed somebody to understand what you were going through. It's going to feel intuitive for you to be with the hurting child. It's going to make sense to you to be with the hurting child. Yep. So now I'm just like, nobody tell my kid that she's not okay <laughs> because I'm trying to overcompensate for that fact. And that makes so much sense. It really does. And I think if the people that are listening, you know, 
what they can take from this is if each situation where you're feeling maybe challenged or or you know a little bit don't know really know what to do in a parenting situation it's the the first thing i'm going to think of now is well why why does that make me feel that way and sure. you know that's what i take away from this and that's just so important i i want to ask you one more thing before we wrap up because i had gotten a lot of of interesting feedback about this um the difference between between consequences and boundaries i know we kind of tiptoed around that a little bit is almost like a fine line it's it's hard for people to understand i feel like do you want to talk about that a little bit absolutely consequences are our imposed limits on a child because it is about us needing to have control over the child. So for example, you threw the toy, I'm putting this toy up high and you can't play with it anymore. That's off limits for the rest of the day. That's a consequence. A lot of people will call it a boundary and they'll say, well, you're having good boundaries. They've thrown the toy and you're telling them that they can't. That's a good boundary. It's not a good boundary. A good boundary is what te teaches the child how to be in relationship together. Okay. Me saying, you can't play with this toy, it's off limits for the day, is not me teaching my me teaching my child how to be in relationship. What I'm teaching my child is I'm the authority figure, I am above you, you are to listen and you know, listen to my commands. I am in control of you. We can't be in relationship with something that we feel like is in control of us. That's not a healthy relationship. And I know a you always say kids resist being controlled. I've heard you say that, which makes yes. total sense. Well, yes, because then it's going to be, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm not going to throw it, I promise. I, ah, no, I want that toy. And then they're going to pick up another toy and they're going to start throwing. And pretty soon the children are all dysregulated. And then we're frustrated and like, holy crap, that didn't work. Just take this stupid toy. I'm, I don't even care. Yeah. Now I've taught nothing. Whereas... If I maybe hold my child's hands and I hold the toy and I say, you know, hon, I can't let you throw. Throwing is really not safe for your body and it's not safe for mine. So I want us to find a way to calm our bodies. And when, you're, when your body feels calm, then we can try again. How do you do that, have that conversation when a kid is still freaking out? Oh, yeah. If they're not able to take in my words, I'm just sitting with them and breathing with them until they calm down. But what I, you know, typically find is the parents who say, well, my kid would never listen to that. They're just way too dysregulated. Um, barring any kind of like serious sensory processing issues, it's actually the parent who's dysregulated. Okay. It, it isn't the, it's not the, the, the child is just vibing with the parent's energy. So we have to be in charge, that's why I talk in my workshop about what it actually means to be a take charge parent. We have to be in charge so that we can take charge of these moments and support the child through these moments. Honestly, everybody out there listening, you just need to go take the workshop. I, I, I don't know what more to tell you all. <laughs> I've learned so much just in this little bit, I feel like, because and we're going to wrap up right here um, because we're out of time and I, I don't want to keep you too long. But even just with the sticker chart situation, I mean, it's just something in my head when I first thought of, I thought sticker charts were a great idea. Like, let me put my daughter's name is Jagger. Like, let me put Jagger's sticker chart and we'll start, you know. And But I would have never known unless I did 
the research or heard from someone like you. And so now the people out here listening, if you're having the same revelation as I am having with the sticker chart situation, I'm sure there's so many more scenarios like this that I'm going to have my eyes open to as well as the self-reflection and so on and so forth. But I'm blown away and so thankful for <laughs> you coming on and and teaching us pretty much that we all all of us parents need to just look inward. Is <laughs> the takeaway? Right. That's a great takeaway. <laughs> I love well, it. I've enjoyed your energy and really appreciate the conversation. It's always a, a pleasure to connect. So thank you for having me. Of course, thank you so much. And everyone, please go follow Conscious Mommy on Instagram. She is a psychotherapist, conscious parenting enthusiast, and just awesome on Instagram. I'm, I'm obsessed with you. So everyone go follow her. Thank you so much again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Well, that wraps up another episode of The 20-Something Mom. Thank you all for being here. Make sure you head to Conscious Mommy on Instagram. Sign up for her parent workshop and give her a follow for more amazing insights. I want to encourage everyone to like, subscribe, comment, give a five-star rating, anything you can do to support this podcast. It's so overwhelming the amount of support that I've had from each and every one of you, and I'm so thankful. So let's keep it going so I can do this and continue to do this each and every week. Thank you guys so much. I'll catch you next week. 